Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. This past week, we began looking at the state of theology in America. Uh, what do we as Americans believe about God, Jesus Christ, the Bible, salvation, sin, ethics, and eternity? Well, Legan, uh, Legan. You were saying off air about Ligon Duncan. I'm confused. See, you got me all messed up, Phil. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. All right, take two. So Ligonier Ministries released a survey earlier this year putting these questions to 3,000 Americans. And, of course, you can find this survey at thestateoftheology.com. One of the questions dealt with the person of the Holy Spirit. So here's what statement number eight says. It says, the Holy Spirit is a force but not a personal being. And uh, 61% of evangelicals, at least those who would identify as evangelicals, say they agree that the Holy Spirit is a force but not a personal being. So, brothers, what's at stake in this? What's at stake in believing that the Holy Spirit is a force but not a personal being? Well, well, first of all, it tells us that in the lives of many evangelicals, Star Wars has had more influence than the Bible. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Good insight there. <laughs> that there's this impersonal force out there. No, the Bible over and over again talks about the Holy Spirit as the, the living God mm-hmm. and uh, the God of character and, and uh, the God who has revealed himself as personal and uh, the, God who, the God who loves us and this, the Holy Spirit no less than the Father and the Son is not just some kind of a... Uh, soulless, personless force uh, that, that we can, like like the force of Star Wars, and of course I was joking, but I only half joking, that apparently that way of thinking has had a, a huge influence. Uh, but that's not the Holy Spirit of the Bible. Yeah. And in, in order to believe that the Holy Spirit is simply a force and not um, a personal being, you have to give away so many Scripture verses that um, assign the fact that the Holy Spirit um, is personal. Yeah. Um, we're to, to walk, keep in step with the Spirit. We're yeah. supposed to walk in the Spirit. We're, we're, we're told multiple times not to, to, to not either quench or to grieve. grieve. How do you grieve a force? Right. Yeah. right. I mean, mm-hmm. it just in order to hold this belief, you have to give away what I would, would consider to be very clear and direct teaching of the, uh, uh, what we find in the New Testament epistles. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, you know, we've talked about the benefits of creeds and confessions, and you know, there, you know, when you when you take what the Bible speaks of, and you distill it in its essence, and you come up with a propositional statement about who God is, you know, like in the Athanasian Creed, it says, "Now this is the universal faith that we worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity. We don't confound their persons or divide their essence." 
For the person of the Father is a distinct person, the person of the Son is another, and that of the Holy Spirit is still another. But the divinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one, the glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. Such as the Father is, such as the Son is, such as the Holy Spirit. The Father is uncreated, the Son is uncreated, the Holy Spirit is uncreated. The Father is immeasurable, the Son is immeasurable, the Holy Spirit is immeasurable, and it goes on. It, you know, it, it assigns this same um, essence to each one of them, and we, and that comes from Scripture, as yeah. as Russ was sharing. The personality of the Holy Spirit is uh, throughout the Bible, and this is how Jesus speaks of Him. He mm-hmm. says, "If I go." I will send him to you, using the right. pronoun. Who, yeah. who is the him? The comforter, the helper. Yeah. But if I do not go, then he will not come. When he, he comes, he will convict. Yeah. But it's not just a comforter. It's another mm-hmm. paraclete. Just like him. Jesus Christ was the first paraclete. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we get it wrong with Jesus to extend it wrong to the Spirit, mm-hmm. to make the Spirit something other. It's the Spirit of Christ. The mm-hmm. Spirit of God is how the Holy Spirit is talked about throughout all of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so we try to make it another almost essence, an it, and that is not the language of Holy Scripture. The, Holy, the Bible over and over again talks about the Spirit as, if you will, an extension of mm-hmm. uh, the Father and the Son. Mm-hmm. Um, because of their unity, the work of one is the work of another, and this is where the Athanasius Creed is so valuable. I, I know Jonathan was saying it goes on and on like that. This is the Father, this is the Son, this is the Holy Spirit. And we read that and we go, wow, talk about belaboring a point. They're belaboring this because this is where we get it wrong so often. And they're trying mm-hmm. to say, no, let's get it right and let's be painfully clear that this is true of the Father, this is true of the Son, this is true of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know if J- Jonathan has that still open. The last statement of this creed is – very, very strong um, that we might need to be reminded of. Oh, it's this. This is the Catholic faith that one cannot be saved without believing it firmly and faithfully. Wow, that's not the language of the 21st century. And just remind them, Catholic means universal. It's talking about this this is the church's faith. This is the universal church's faith that one can't be saved without believing this firmly and faithfully. Mm-hmm. One of the precious things about the Holy Spirit that I think uh, I know that when I discovered this truth, it was so delightful that Jesus died um, for multiple reasons. One of the most glorious reasons that Jesus died was to give us the Holy Spirit. Yeah. This is what he, Paul says in Galatians Chapter 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. What, what is that? So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Christ died so that, so that uh, um, God could dwell in us as temples of God, God the Holy Spirit. That's so precious. And that's something that, that makes Christians very distinct from non-Christians, that we have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so much at stake in, in thinking that the Holy Spirit is just a force. So let's, let's go to the next question here. Um, Regarding how the Holy Spirit and the new birth work together, statement number nine of that that survey from Ligonier said this, the Holy Spirit gives spiritual new birth or new life before 
a person has faith in Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit gives the new birth before a person has faith in Jesus Christ. And it said that 62% of evangelicals agreed with that statement. Now, brothers, honestly, I was actually surprised at the survey at this question because this has not been my experience. Most people that I have run into believe that faith comes first and then the new birth. This is a very Reformed doctrine. Um, Can you address first why this is an important question to ask? And then secondly, how does your view of the new birth affect your Christianity? Hmm. I'm going to actually address just a little bit further up the stream than that and the fact that why would so many people agree with what seems to be on the surface a Reformed belief? And unfortunately, it's not a Reformed belief in the fact that we say that the Holy Spirit gives a spiritual new birth or new life before a person has faith in Jesus Christ. This is actually one of the um, things that originally the the divines addressed at, at the 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 council that dealt with the the errors of the remonstrants, um, the challenges to the Reformed faith, and they came up with the Canons of Dort and. One of those challenges, um, we talk about irresistible grace, and the the problem is this, that the remonstrats actually believe that God does actually do a work in people's hearts, but what is necessary is cooperating or cooperation from us. Mm-hmm. So God gives cooperating grace. He does a work in people's hearts, so now they have a choice of whether they respond or not. So this is where, unfortunately, we agree with our Arminian brothers to a certain extent of saying that grace is necessary. Um, we would say it is only by the, the work of the Holy Spirit in hearts and lives that not only do we are we given new birth, but that new birth will come to the salvation of the person in which it, it works. The Arminian would say God gives new birth, and the end result is left up to the free choice of, of the individual. So mm-hmm. we actually do agree with our Arminian brothers in the fact that, that the work of the Spirit is necessary. Right. We would say it's monergistic. It's only the work of right. God. But we're right. certainly devi- uh, defining – so that would be a view of prevenient grace, that God acts before. But prevenient grace would certainly be different than the new birth. They, in Reformed mm-hmm. theology, right? We're talking, you know, regeneration has to take place. The, you know, that's the, actually the, that's life. The theological word is, uh, you know, being made alive, regenerated, right. and what He gives life to us. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. So, you know, what can dead people do? They can't do anything. I mean, Princess Bride. You know, he's only mostly dead. That means you know you can actually do something with him. But if he's all dead, you just go through his pockets. Um, so, but being dead in our trespasses and sins, you know, we're following the course of this world, following the prince and power of the air, as it says in Ephesians, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest. Of mankind, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Mm -hmm. I mean, there has to be the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit before he can even create faith in my heart, before I can think his thought after him, because dead man can't do anything. Yeah, I always always go back to Jesus' encounter with, with Nicodemus. And um, 
Jesus telling him, you must be born from above. And it's a play on words, born again, born from above. Um, and, and Jesus also, referring to the Spirit, uh, using the wind as an image of the Spirit, uh, the wind blows where it will. You, in other words, you can't control it, Nicodemus. You can't, uh, you know, I, I've, even, I've even heard people use the phrase, well, we, you can't control the wind of the Spirit, but we can hoist our sails. I don't even think we can do that. Um, that, as, as Jonathan was saying, apart from Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We need the Spirit of God to give us life. And we need God to take the initiative out of love and God simply choosing to love us and be our saving God. Yeah. But this is why words matter, and this is where still, I mean, I'm going to go back. The, Ar- the Arminians actually taught that man nevertheless can and in actual fact often does so resist God and the Spirit in their intent and will to regenerate him that man completely thwarts his own rebirth. And indeed that it remains in his own power whether or not to be reborn. So I'm saying the Arminians get the language, they use biblical language incorrectly. This is what's so scary. So that's why they can answer this question right and unfortunately be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's one of the I mean one of the debates during the canons of Dort is not necessarily between we kind of tend to think that total depravity that 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 Armenians don't believe in total depravity. They do. They, do. they define it differently. Yeah. They don't they do believe in the work of the spirit in the process of regeneration. They define it differently. Yeah. And I, so that's underneath all of this. I think that one of the ways that Lloyd Jones summarized it very succinctly <clears throat> is the difference between these two perspectives is a person coming to God for a little bit of help or a great deal of help, whatever you want to say. And the person who comes to God who is helpless. Mm-hmm. Um, it, does Christianity teach that all you need is a little bit of help or does Christianity teach that you are Helpless. Helpless. Well, that's where we'll have to end today on The Gospel for Life. We'll see you next time. 